Welcome to the Joe Schmo Theology Podcast, where we discuss confessions. I ain't confessing nothing! Reformed theology. I don't know what either of those words mean. And apologetics. I am not apologizing for anything either. I am your host, Adam D. Murray, and joined with me today on this program is my brother, Aaron D. Murray. What's up, y'all? This is episode 16 of Joe Schmo Theology, the podcast where two dummies talk about smart things. I'm half your host, Aaron. I'm your other half, Adam. Hey, Adam. How's it going? Hey, it's You living going. large? We're the Joe Schmo Bros. The Joe Schmo Bros. Yeah. Uh, I am not living large. I am just living. It's been a very... Living small? It's been a very, like, uneventful couple weeks since we last spoke. I really don't have anything to report. I've been doing nothing but... Working and normal. I don't know. You've been, you've been doing things. something, man. Been doing some wedding planning. Yeah, tell me about Got that. Got some wedding planning going on. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of torn on the issue because, like, growing up as a kid and stuff, I'm kind of like, what's the big deal with wedding planning, right? It's super easy. You're just mm-hmm. like, hey, someone take photos. Hey, somebody mm-hmm. else marry us, and then like, boom, we're done. Like, who cares about the venue, all that stuff? Well... Oh, they care about the venue. Yeah, yeah. They care. In a sense, I mean, we're not getting married till October. It's January 30th right now, so I feel like we still have plenty of time, and I'm just not stressing about anything, like, at all. You seem like you're stressing. Well, just not about wedding planning. The bags around your eyes look like stress bags to me. I'm a little stressed, just not about the wedding planning, but it's fine. I'm sorry. It's fine. It's all good. Um, But no... There's a guest list issue mm-hmm. <laughs> that I don't know how to reconcile. Well, let's reconcile it on the podcast. What's the issue? Yeah, do you want me to like list names of people that are on the bubble? Like maybe you're not making it and you can just tell me whether I should invite them or not. Well, no. You know, I just they don't might, have enough room. They might listen. Yeah, I know. They're not going to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, it's kind of one of those things where like that's the only thing in this process that is giving me a little bit of grief. Solution. Live stream. Live stream your wedding. No, I have, have it? the solution. Dude, live... No, no, your solution's stupid. My solution live, is awesome. Okay, tell us the solution. It's stupid. It's so dumb. My solution is first come, first serve. That's we so send out like a thousand stupid. invites. You RSVP, Nobody first come, first serve. Get limited space. You get your spot. Whatever. Okay? Not only that, but since you invite like a thousand people, you're going to get like 700 gifts, right? So I'm kind of feeling that. That's idea. seriously the dumbest idea. Let me give you a better one that includes gifts. <laughs> okay. Because I know that's what's the most important thing to you. Obviously. Live stream... Have B-listers already at the reception area, eating hors d'oeuvres, drinking a little uh, little grape juice, because you're a Baptist, that's what you do. Right, obviously. Uh-huh. And they, they'll live stream it. They'll watch it. And then you got, you know, you got a little bit of food to keep them entertained while you come. And, and then what? And do do they leave when everybody comes no, up from the ceremony no, because no, no. we don't have enough room We'll for get a big reception, our... man. We don't. We already have the space booked, and there's not live that much stream space. the reception. <laughs> <laughs> like okay, off, off, off site. Uh huh. It's not gonna work. Okay. Um, Just don't invite people. What's the issue? Yeah, we got a DJ. We got the venue. We, we got have the DJ. Date, we have the officiant. We know who's in our party, and we almost have a photographer. So I feel like we're making yeah. headway. So guys, I'm not the best man. No, you're not. You're not even. That might make people sad. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> You're close. No, I'm a, I'm a little sad about that. Who's who's the best man, Adam? Andrew. Andrew. Yeah. You know, our, our our little brother. That's yeah. fine. That's fine. I was your best man. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know exactly. You're welcome. So we had this agreement. <laughs> I'm not making you go through it. <laughs> <laughs> we had this agreement where I was my oldest brother's best man. Adam was my best man. Andrew's going to be Adam's best man, and Austin will be Andrew's best man. So. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, Andrew's probably going to screw Austin over. Yeah, Andrew's going to have, like, Damien. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I'm not going to lie. I was watching you stress out about the guest list last week. Yeah. And I was giggling in my heart. How did you invite 500 people? Because I am a Reformed Presbyterian, and we make things happen. We're lit. It's the opposite of Reformed Presbyterian. I hope you know. RPCNA is lit, bro. Lit implies heat, and aren't you self-proclaimed frozen chosen? Yeah, we're working on that. Yeah. We're, we're a little lit. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I mean, we, we love weddings. Hmm. And and people, I don't know. It's different, though, because we had it at uh, church, yeah. and you're doing it at a barn. Right. You know? It's going to be 
Beautiful. Lit. Okay. Obviously. What's up with you, man? Not much. Like, literally not much. I'm going to... I started reading this new book, which I know you don't care about because you don't like reading. I'm, but I'm reading. It's a fiction book, and you don't like fiction. Are you reading Chosen by Free too? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. No, no, I'm reading... Uh, it's a book called Gardens of the Moon. It's a 10-part series called oh, Book of the uh, uh, The Fallen Book of the Malazan. It's a weird title. That is so much to invest. Yeah, dude, parts? it's 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 huge, and they're each Ugh. like five six hundred pages. Aren't you afraid you're gonna burn out after like one or two of them? Mm, yeah, I am. But if I do, so what? So my buddy from church recommended them to me. They're they're fantasy novels, and they're oh, it was hard to get into. Like the only reason I kept reading it was because you know I I like taking recommendations, and if people recommend something to me, I'm gonna try it. So I got like two hundred pages in, and I thought it was super boring. But man, I got hooked. Probably. I got hooked. I'm into it. Like that's what I'm doing as soon as we're done with this. Yeah, Hannah texted me today. She was listening to our last podcast, and she's like, "You know, I think I'm more like Aaron than I am like you when it comes to entertainment." She's like, "I like books and I hate sitcoms." <laughs> but like, yeah, you know, I bet you love Walking Dead and uh, Breaking Bad too, don't you? You got a good woman You're there, great. Adam. You got a good yeah, woman. She is. She's don't, don't don't lose her. She's great. Yeah, yeah. Like so. What's our what's our topic today? We're talking about union with Christ. Union with union with Christ. Christ. If uh, you had to summarize that just in like a sentence or two, what are we working with? Ooh, in a sentence or two, um, I would. Wow, I was thinking about this earlier, and I actually had a nice little like concise sentence, but I can't remember what it was now. Something along the lines of our. Um, standing in or in God's presence because of what Christ has accomplished or some, something along that like the blessings we receive um, in our standing in Christ because of what Christ accomplished on the cross right so things like adoption inheritance um, um, his, us in him and he in us like the spirit and dwelling like those types of things so not concise at all but no I think I think that's good um, before we really get into the meat of this, I, I do think it's good to kind of take a second and just talk about what our podcast is about, um, because we do, you know, our tagline, two dummies to talk about smart things, and it is just that. When did that become our tagline? <laughs> just like I think the second episode. Episode seven, it just no, like showed up, well, and it was like, oh, this is it now. This is how things this evolve. All right. But the, I think the point is, I don't think you or I would consider ourselves to be academic types. No. Right? I don't think we're, neither one of us would consider us to be stupid. But we're definitely not academic. I don't even read. Right. Apparently. I know. I know. That's sad. (laughs) But I think that the point of our podcast really is to show that even though you are not academic, you can still talk about Mm -hmm. higher things. Right. And so for anybody listening, our encouragement to you is that the things of God are worth talking about. Yeah. Now, they may be difficult and they may be confusing. But if you're going to think about anything, think about Christ. Yeah. Right. Even if you don't get it... um, talk to somebody who does and they'll try to distill it for you and so that's kind of what we try to do is distill things down to how i would want something explained to me you know i don't try to do that it just happens naturally (laughs) yeah yeah but you read smart people like okay i wish somebody could explain this to me in a lot more simple way right and so that's what we're trying to do so i hope that we don't get too heady ever well i was going to say and in this in this particular topic it's I think easy to go both ways yes. because yep. it is a very mm-hmm. involved and heady topic, but at the same time, it's also like the basics of the faith, right. you know? So, um, I think there are ways to definitely understand and talk about it without, you know, getting into John Murray or whoever else that you've read. But. Yeah. Well, is it, I mean, that's the beauty of the gospel though, is it's deep enough to where an elephant can drown in it, but it's also shallow enough to where a child can wait in it. Well, you know, who'd you steal that from? Uh, my pastor who probably stole it from somebody else. Nice. Yeah. Classic. So um, that's our topic, union with Christ, how Christ identifies with his people, and in turn, how his people identify with him. So we're going to start with uh, Ephesians. We're going to go through a lot of scripture here um, because scripture is really what's important. If we're not getting it from scripture, we shouldn't be getting it. Hmm. Um, So the topic, you know, the the phrase union with Christ is never found in scripture, much like the the Trinity, the word incarnation, and things like that. These are just titles that theologians have given to sure. to a specific you know way of thinking to distill it down or be concise with it. Um, so, well, what was that sentence that you used? Union with Christ is our standing before our our is how Christ how we identified in Christ identifies with Christ us and how we identify with Him. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, it's good. Um, I like it. Thank you. 
So we're, we're going to go through a lot of scripture here. Um, and just, just bear with us because I know sometimes it can be difficult to hear people read scripture, which it really shouldn't be. Um, let's just say our voices are boring. Let's, let's, let's put the onus on us. Yeah. All right. So where we're going to start here is we're going to start in Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 10. So if you do have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them up and read along with us. If not, and you're driving in your car, just listen. You know, it's good. So this is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the richness of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So in in this passage, we, we basically have union with Christ in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, and where I want to start, like we could, I want to talk about in this cast, I want to talk about what it means to be holy. I want to talk about adoption and I want to talk about redemption. I want to talk about inherit our inheritance and what that means. But before we do that, we need to, again, start kind of in the beginning. So where we see union with Christ develop and where we see that develop is, um, here in the beginning, I think it's verse four, where it says in him before the foundations of the world. So he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. Mm-hmm. So before any of us were created, before Genesis 1-1, God had determined ahead of time how he was going to unite himself with his people. Right. 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 And there's that concept of adoption right there in, in 5. Yes. You know, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And that was all done before the foundation of the world. Right. And so in order to talk about this idea of union with Christ, it's good for us to, to bring up the idea of federal headship. Hmm. So, um, federal headship, what is it? Um, wh- where would you go to talk about it and, and these types of things? Um, I would go to Romans 5.12. Um, what it is, and the best way I can describe this, is that um, Adam was our federal head, and when he fell, we fell. Right. So when he sinned, we were guilty of that sin as well. So now everyone born is born into sin. Um, and then... Um, you know, so Adam was our was our federal head. Now, um, as redeemed people, Christ is our fellow federal head. So in Christ, redemption, we too have redemption. Is kind of the concept of that. <clears throat> right. So, read, so let's let's prove that with scripture. Yeah. So you mentioned so, Romans five. Romans five, starting in verse twelve. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Okay, let's pause there and let's just flesh that out a little bit so we don't get lost. Yeah. This is is exactly what you said here, how Adam was the federal head. How Adam goes, all of humanity goes. Mm-hmm. So therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that one man being Adam, death through sin spread and all these other things. And then it says uh, here, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So one, we see that, yes, so, so for instance, you and I have not eaten the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. Right. And yet... Um, that sin is counted to us. Right. So we sin, even though it's not the same type of sin that Adam did. And then here it says, who Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So even from the beginning, God has determined that he will send his son, and Adam was a type of the one to come. Yeah, do you think that that, um, that phrase there, who was a type of the one to come, um, and it, when it's talking about you know the sin was not like the transgression of Adam, do you think that 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 means that not just because we haven't like done the same action as Adam, but because Adam had the ability, um, if he would have not eaten of that fruit, there would not have been sin that entered the world. We would have had, you know, um, I don't want to say redemption because we wouldn't have had redemption, but, you know, we never would have fallen in the first place. Right. And he was a type of Christ in a sense where Christ came and brought redemption. So, like, 
the stakes were there, you know, like mm-hmm. now we sin, but we're already sinners. Adam was not a sinner, and yet he failed where Christ then came and succeeded. Right, right. Yeah, I would agree with everything okay. you said. So go ahead and keep going. We're, we're at uh, verse 15, guys. <clears throat> All right, 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass, or not like the trespass. For if many died through one's, one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Yeah, so that, that, that's good. And so again, that's kind of fleshing out the idea that about what we just talked about, how Jesus is that type of Adam who is coming to fulfill the role that Adam could not. Right. So I want to camp out on that for a second, um, which leads us into the idea of the incarnation. So first of all, what is the incarnation? Just And I don't want to assume people's intelligence and assume everyone, nobody knows what these words mean, but just yeah. in case people don't. Yeah, where, where Christ took on flesh. Right. Um, so you have the idea of the hypostatic union and other theological term the hypostatic union look at me well, you're throwing around incarnation <laughs> throw around hypostatic fair, union fair about enough, what fair enough, fair um, enough. you know but that's the idea that god was truly god fully god and that he was still truly man and fully man right so is the joining um of the of the nature so one god with two natures is essentially how that works so I, right so so god becoming flesh essentially is, is right. what, what the incarnation is so when we think about the incarnation why is the incarnation god becoming flesh critical to the idea of union with christ um yeah there that's a very big question sure <laughs> um there's a couple things um one of my pet peeves is that um, people, I know you hate holidays. I don't hate holidays. You hate Christmas and stuff. I mean, it's... I think they're annoying. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of Christians turn Christmas into like this big event without recognizing the significance of the incarnation. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem to me because then you run into people like Andy Stanley who... Are sitting there going like eh, it doesn't matter about the incarnation or not virgin birth whatever you know it doesn't even matter if the bible's inerrant or not as long as we can prove historically that the resurrection occurred then christianity stands and falls on that gross yeah and i struggle with that because i'm like well if the incarnation is not true then you don't get the resurrection if you don't celebrate christmas right you don't get to celebrate easter right that's kind of like it's all it's all connected there um so christ coming in the flesh um he as a man and as God, he, as God, he, you know, he was the only one who, who came and lived sinlessly, right? So he took on the law mm-hmm. and yet without sin, um, he fulfilled that. When he, when he died on the cross, he did so as a man, right? And as God. So he was the only one qualified to pay the price that mankind had to pay for their sin. Um, I'm not explaining that very well. No, I think you're doing a fine job. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so the fact that, so the fact that Christ took on flesh and bore our fleshly um, penalty is the reason why we get to celebrate with Christ's resurrection and therefore live in that resurrection as well as redeem people. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, no, I'm, okay. I, I, I'm tracking with you. You have anything to add? Tracking with me? I'm Chan tracking Ryan. with you. Yeah, yeah, I know you love Maddie Chan. I do. Um, I do too. He's great. Well, yeah, so I want, to, I want to talk about the incarnation, and this may seem like coming out of left field, but I also want to talk about Christ's baptism. Okay. Some. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> first of all, John the Baptist comes. I think we're all pretty familiar with John the Baptist. His mm-hmm. whole point was to come and pave the way for the Christ, pave the way for Jesus, get the people ready for it. And so he had, he starts doing this thing called baptism, whether this is something he started with or whether this is something that was taking place beforehand. We know that there were baptisms in the Old Testament, not necessarily like this one. We right. don't need to get into that. Right. Okay. The point is he was doing a baptism of repentance, <coughs> preparing the way for Christ's coming. Okay, so the people are coming, they're repenting, and they're being baptized. And then uh, Jesus comes to be baptized. And this is Matthew three thirteen through 16. Okay, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. 
And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So side note here real quick, if you ever need a verse for the Trinity where all three members are active at the same time, boom, there you go. <laughs> uh, but, but what I want to focus on is, is this phrase that Jesus said, and he says uh, in verse uh, 15, But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. So what, what's, the, what's the significance behind that phrase? It is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Yeah, not a clue. He's quoting from somewhere. Um... Where is he quoting from? I don't know if he is quoting from somewhere. I mean, he might be. I, I would. I'm not aware of that. Maybe not. Nope, it's not. He's not quoting that's, from somewhere. It's Jesus's quote. Yeah, it's the quotation marks. <laughs> Obvi. <laughs> Obvi. Um, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know what that means. Sure. Well, I think so. It can mean a few things. When people talk about Jesus's baptism, um, there's a few different viewpoints. One is this is Jesus being initiated into the priesthood. Um, the reason that we think that is because in Luke's account of this, it says, you know, Jesus was 30 right after this happened. Um, and so the significance behind that is if you look at numbers four, it talks about those being initiated in the priest. It had to be of age 30 and they had to do all these ceremonial significant things. Um, and so people say, well, look, this is Jesus being initiated into the priesthood. I think there's plausibility to that. I'm not necessarily convinced of it. Uh, my Presbyterian brothers, uh, really like to say that it, this is Jesus being initiated into the priesthood because it, the ceremonies that the priests have to go through involve sprinkling. And so they like, well, there you go, the sprinkling of the baptism, whatever. That's maybe, I'm not convinced. I think it's plausible, um, but I don't know. I, I think more than anything, it is Jesus and his humanity coming and identifying with his people and fulfilling the law. So if God said, when God says to his people, you need to do these sacrifices, you need to wear this type of clothing, you need to say these types of things, you need to do these things on these different days, Jesus is doing all of those, every jot and tittle. So the idea is him fulfilling the law. So him identifying with his people, him doing what God commands of his people. Does that, that make sense? Kind of. Push back um, on that? No, I'm just wondering, where was the law for baptism? Sure. So the law for baptism really would be in that John was a prophet. And this is what God had told John to do. So when you think of okay. the, the people preparing themselves, so think of like the Ten Commandments. Before mm -hmm. Moses went up to the mountain, God tells the people, you know, you need to fast, you need to wash your clothes, you need to mm -hmm. do all these types of things and prepare for, you know, meeting with God. Right. When um, the priest had to do these sacrifices, they had to do these washings and these ceremonial things mm -hmm. to prepare for meeting with God. So right. here the incarnate God is coming. And so John is saying, here, people, you need to prepare yourself to meet with God. Right. So okay, it, it, it's kind of like a deduction. Like a ceremonial cleansing for the... Right. Just, that, just for prepare, the coming, preparing yeah. yourself right. for meeting with God. Gotcha. So <clears throat> I think God is identifying us with this people. And then after that, Mark's account says, and then the spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and there were wild animals and things. So I'm going to go ahead and read Matthew's account actually. And this is, this is what it says. So here we are in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the spirits into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and on him you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So I want you to think about that. First of all, you have the devil coming and tempting Christ. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it's pretty obvious, but we'll just say it on the foot. Scripture can be used wrong. 
Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> and and this is a classic example of the devil who knows Scripture better than any of us do, and he's using it falsely. Right. And how does Jesus combat that? He uses Scripture correctly. Mm-hmm. So all Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. The three passages that he Jesus uses to combat what the devil is saying is found in Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. So take that, people who don't like the Old Testament. <laughs> it's all of God's word, y'all. <clears throat> so I want I want us to think about Jesus' temptation here. And I want us to compare it to Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve were tempted. Okay, so this is Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7. Feel free to jump in any time, by the way. I'm just trying to figure out where you're going with it. Sure. I'm just waiting for you to bring it home. Okay, well, Lord willing, I will. <laughs> Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So pause right there. So you have the serpent and the tempter, the same person. So the serpent tempting Eve, the devil tempting Jesus. And what are they both doing? They're both trying to use God's word against his people. Okay. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of that tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Pause right there again. (laughs) Here you have Eve misquoting God who says you shall not eat it. She adds to the word of God saying you shall not touch it. So that right there is an indication that she, much like us, does not know scripture as well as we should. Right. Okay. Right. You shall not touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Okay, so I want us to think about Genesis 3 and Matthew 4 and compare those. So we've already talked about how the devil uses God's word and he misuses it. And we talked about how Jesus combated that temptation by the proper use and how Eve opened herself up to um, being taken advantage of by misusing it. So when you look at the the types of sins that the devil approaches Adam and Eve and Jesus with, they're the same type. So let's look at the first in in Matthew 4. He says, um, if you were the son of God, and and remember this is after Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. You tried doing that. I can't even fast for two hours. Yeah, seriously. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Satan tempts Eve and says, you know, you'll not surely die. Eat the fruit. You'll be like God. Mm -hmm. So what does Eve do? She sees the fruit and she says "It it is pleasing to the eye to her. So there's this idea of pleasure. There's the idea of satisfying the flesh. Mm. Okay, so you've got Eve wanting to satisfy the flesh, and you've got the devil tempting Jesus to satisfy his flesh. I see where you're okay, going. Okay, you're with clicking this. with me. I, I got see your you eyes now. I, I've got it. Okay, I figured it All right. out. <laughs> so, so you see, that's the exact same type of temptation. Then let's go back to Matthew, and this is the second. And the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, "If you are the son of God, throw yourself that's down." The third one. This is the third one? No, yeah. it's the second one. Second one is three. Oh. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. right, right. The devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. So, and then Jesus combats the scripture. And then we have, or combats with the scripture. And, and so with that, you've got the devil appealing to Christ's potential pride. Like, mm. if you have all this power, do it. And then so um, here Satan is tempting Adam and Eve saying, you know, you, you'll be fine. You, you, can be, you can be like God. Right. You can be like God. You can have this, this, this power. Mm-hmm. Or, you can, or you can be prideful, have all this wisdom. <clears throat> and, and Jesus says no, and Adam and Eve say yes. Yeah. And then the second is, is, is power. Or the third, thank you. <laughs> you corrected me good, rightly, this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the third is Satan saying, all this stuff is mine. If you bow down to me, I'll give it to you all. Right. So he, he's appealing to, to the power, like the, the, the power lust. Yeah. Like if you want power, there's an easy way out, Jesus. You don't yeah. have to do this thing on the cross. You can just bow to me. Right. Worship me. Right. You know, and break the first commandment. Right, right, right. God's withholding from you, Adam and Eve. You right. can have whatever you want. Right. right. And the same thing with Adam and Eve. God's withholding with you. You can be like God yeah. to Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve fail. Ultimately, it's Adam who fails. 
right? Yeah. And in Adam's failure, we fail. Right. But then you look at Jesus' success, and we're talking about union with Christ. So this, this is the foundation for that, is that as Jesus succeeds, he gives his success to us. Okay, so that, that's where I'm going with this. So let's look... Um, Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 45. Can I just say real quick? Yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. That is a really cool parallel that I haven't seen before, so I appreciate that. Well, you know, I get it from other people who are smarter than me. Right, right. right. I and I, I think it's incredible. Yeah. It, it just it blows my mind. Yeah, it is like, cool. like Christ is the type of Adam. He succeeds yeah. where Adam fails. Yeah, and I've always known that, but then to see it so clearly laid out in the mm-hmm. temptations and where Adam and Eve failed yeah. and where Christ succeeded is really cool. Yeah. Um, anyway, he said 15.4? Yeah. 1 Corinthians 15.45, and it, it says pretty much what we just said. Here you have Jesus succeeding where Adam failed. Christ is called the second Adam. So where is my uh, quotation? All right. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So we've got, again, just this idea of what we've already <clears throat> talked about, how uh, Adam is the uh, first Adam, and then Christ is the second Adam, the life-giving spirit. Okay. And then Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. I know we're going fast. Stick with me, y'all. Yeah, you are. Okay. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood... He himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same thing. That's why the incarnation is important. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brother in every respect. Why the incarnation is important so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So what what this all means is Christ has experienced every type of temptation that you and I have experienced, yet without sin. Mm-hmm. And he has succeeded. And because he has succeeded, he is our high priest and he is able to make propitiation a, a necessary sacrifice for our sin, and that sacrifice we know ultimately is himself at the cross. Mm-hmm. Anything to add to that before we jump into a game? No, that was very good. That was a nice little, uh, nice little beginning to end exegetical work. Boom! There, so. Gets me jacked. Yeah, it gets me jacked. All right, let's play a game. All right, let's do so it. this game, my friend, fitting as this is, is a quiz on Jesus. Oh goodness, let's do it. You, you nailed the Trinity quiz. Right? I did nail the Trinity so, quiz. So uh, the last time we did the Trinity quiz, someone commented and wanted to know where we got that. It was from uh, TimChallies.com, and this is where I got the quiz as well. So just go to uh, Challies.com and go to the search bar and type Jesus quiz if you want to take this quiz for yourself. How many quizzes does he have? Uh, I don't know. He's got like four or five. Oh, cool. I'm going to hold on to him because I want to Yeah, just for later. other future casts. Uh, exactly. <clears throat> look at him yet. Don't look at him, guys. <laughs> stop, stop. I'm, okay. All right. So some of these are pretty simple, and I thought some of them were pretty confusing. Okay. So, question number one. True or false? These are all true or false questions. Cool. 50%. Jesus Christ is fully God. True. 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 The Chalcedian Creed refers to Christ as truly God. Texts such as John 1.1, 1, 1, John 20.28, 20, Romans 9.5, Titus 2.13, Hebrews 1.8, and 2 Peter 1.1 1, 1, all plainly testify to the divinity of Jesus. Take that, people who say Jesus never said he was God. Jesus Christ is fully man. True. True. It's that hypostatic union stuff, man. Hypostatic union. I'm not going to read that answer. I'll read some of the answers because I think they're good. Question three. There's 30 of them, by the way. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a minute. Jesus is divine, but not equal in divinity with the Father. False. 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 Arianism refers to the fourth century heresy that denied the divinity of Christ. Arius of Alexander taught that the Logos was the son and servant of God, but not co-equal with God the Father. Arius viewed the son as a power of God and thus a creature. Today, a number of cults, including the Jehovah's Witnesses, also hold to an Arian view. Where's St. Nick when you need him? Punch him in the face! Punch him in the face! (laughs) Best part of Christmas? Jesus is two persons, a divine person and a human person in one. False. False. False! Nestorianism is the view that there are two separate persons in Christ, a human person and a divine person. This is wrong because the Son assumed true human nature, body and soul, not a distinct human person separate from his divine person. And I'm just reading these just in case they might, the answers might be confusing to people. All right, cool. Okay. Yeah. Jesus has a human body but a divine mind. Um, yes and no. 
Don't click anything. Okay, I'm not clicking I'm anything. Just make my case. Okay, go ahead. All right, human body, yes. Yes. Divine mind, also yes. Human mind, yes. So am I saying yes? I don't. Because you've I, only said yes so far. All right, so he has a human body uh-huh. and a divine mind. Is that implying splitting? I I don't know. I, we'll have to we'll have to see. <laughs> no, you're not going to be sent to hell for this. <laughs> no, I know, but it's not a it's not a good question. There's too many variables. What's your answer? It sounds like he's trying to divide the two, and he's fully God and fully man. So I'm going to say no, even though is the answer false? is also yes. The correct answer is false. false. You're good. Apollinarianism makes a fatal error, namely that the incarnation of the Son did not assume a human mind. Instead, a divine mind assumed a human body. This error is very common in today's church. In reality, the Son united himself to a true human nature, which, according to the Chalcedon, according to Chalcedon, included a reasonable soul and body. So you nailed that. You worked through it, and you nailed it. Well, I was there to begin with. It just doesn't make any sense. If it were to say only has, you know, because he has the mind of Christ, well, and that, he is Christ, and that was that was the assumption yeah. with the word "but" a human body, but okay. a divine all right, mind. All right, right got to read the question. Not and. Like all as right, well. All right, all right. So. Well, you said and. No, I said but. All right, I'm gonna go listen to. You're it. gonna listen to it. I'll let you know if you're right. I know Probably I'm right. Are. All right. Jesus has two natures, which are mixed False. together from one nature. False. Eutychianism refers to the view of Eutychius of Constantinople, who was vague about understanding the relation between Christ's two natures. In short, his error stemmed from mixing Christ's humanity and divinity, which means that his view of Christ will not allow for Christ having a humanity like ours in every way. Note also the words of the Chalcedian Creed, to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, which counter the Eutychian view. There you go. Jesus has two wills, not one will. False. True! Christ has two natures, and each nature (laughs) has a will belonging to it. Therefore, Christ has two wills, a divine will and a human will. Wayne Grudem says Jesus has two distinct wills, a human will and a divine will, and each of the wills belongs to the two distinct natures of Christ, not the person. So what was the last question before that one? The last question before that was Jesus has two natures, which are mixed together. Which are mixed together. Right, and this one has Jesus has two wills, not one will. Okay, we good? Go ahead. All right. Jesus created the world. True. True. John 1, 1, y'all. And then, you know, I won't read this. You can read scripture. Yeah. At the incarnation, God the Son became a man. God the Son became a man. Yes. Correct. Jesus laid aside his divine attributes at the incarnation and then took them back after his resurrection. False. False. Very good. I'm going to read this one because I think this is good. False. Some people believe that Philippians 2, 7 teaches... This, and this is what it says, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born of the likeness of men. Um, the Bible says Greek kineo can mean empty, pour out, or also metaphorically give up status and privilege. Does this mean that Christ temporarily relinquished his divine attributes during his earthly ministry? No. Paul is not saying that Christ became less than God or gave up some divine attributes. Rather, he is stressing that Christ, who had all the privileges that were rightly his as king of the universe, gave them up to become an ordinary Jewish baby bound for the cross. Now, do you think that he suppressed part of his divine nature? What do you mean suppressed? I just heard people say that um, that Christ suppressed his nature for a time, in a sense. And I've never agreed with that at all. Um, but that would be the justification for like Jesus still being fully God, not knowing the time when, you know, when he would return. That's only for the Father. And he couldn't do certain miracles in certain places because of a lack of their faith and those types of things. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, uh, Well, and in, in, in regards to the second coming, I think in Christ's humanity, he didn't know. Right. Um, I don't like the word suppressed because then it sounds like the divinity of Jesus is trying to come out, but the humanity is pushing it down. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Well, Jesus was born in 1 AD. (laughs) False. False. And there's like 3 AD or something? No, it's actually 5 BC. 5 BC. Apparently. You want to read the thing? What do you mean? Like the answer? 
Sure. Okay. I just heard Bakum talking about it the other day. Yeah, see, the thing about dating is you're, you're hit or miss by a few years, I think, either way. Yeah. So I'm not going to read it. Basically, what, what this says is that some dude misunderstood some things. <laughs> Hence the, the reason for the false dating. Cool. 12. We're on question 12. Wow, we are killing it. As a baby, Jesus did not cry. He expressed in the, as expressed in the Christmas carol, Away in a Manger, which says, The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. False. Good. Jesus was a human, and humans cry, especially babies, because that's how they survive. He Jesus cried out with a loud, loud voice. Jesus wept. But burn! Damn. <laughs> Let's go. Well, I think the idea behind that is people assume whenever a baby cries, it's sinning mm-hmm. because it's it's expressing its desire for something. Right. And it's like, no, it's really mm-hmm. saying, I need to eat or I'm going to die. Right. Like it's it's a survival instinct. <laughs> right, okay. Right, right. This is this is God gives babies survival instincts because I can't talk. <laughs> All right. Jesus, the man was ignorant. Uh, false. The answer is true. Jesus, the man, was ignorant? Yes. Oh, yeah, because he had to learn Because he stuff grew in studied. wisdom and stature yeah, yeah, yeah. and all that. Okay, all right. But ignorant just implies, like, other things. It's fine. Go ahead. Man, you seem bitter about this. A little bit. It's no, fine. it's fine. Yeah, yeah. You're okay. Jesus was an only child. False. False, and we don't need to talk about that. The Chalcedian Creed is wrong to refer to Mary as the mother of God, begotten before all ages of the Father, Father according to the Godhead, and these later days for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the mother of God, according to the manhood. False. False. The answer is right. It's completely appropriate to say Jesus was, or Mary was the mother of God. That's not Catholic. Roman Catholic guys, get over it. Jesus learned facts and abilities while on earth. True. True. In his humanity, Jesus submitted to God the Father. True. True. In his humanity. Let's make that clear. In his humanity. <laughs> Jesus was forced to submit to the Father's will. Uh, false. False. Correct. Jesus did it of his own accord. Because Jesus was God, he could not be tempted. Even though he drives a Chrysler. Um, well, he was tempted in Matthew 4, so I'm going to say true. False. Jesus, so he could be tempted. Yeah, he could be tempted. So you said true. Oh, well, I meant to say false. Okay, all right. Jesus could not have sinned when tempted. True, false. <sighs> yeah, I know. <laughs> ah, there's the question. There's the question, y'all. There's the question. Um, oh, man. I'm going to say he could not have sinned. He could not have sinned. Jesus could, or sorry, he could not have sinned, right? So right. you're saying, so the answer is false. Jesus because it says Jesus could have sinned when tempted, so your answer is he's false. Wait, sorry, say that again. Jesus could have sinned when tempted. False. False, okay. False. WGT Shed puts it well. When the Logos goes into union with the human nature, so as to constitute a single person with it. Man, this is rough. This is why we distill things. He becomes responsible for all that this person does through the instrumentality of this nature. Should Jesus Christ sin, incarnate God would sin. When conceived this way, the idea that Jesus could sin is not only utterly atrocious, but is full-out blasphemous. The triune God is implicated in all that Jesus does. God is justified by Jesus, glorified by Jesus, and made visible by Jesus. If Jesus could have sinned, God would not be God. Savvy? Good. Savvy. For our salvation, Christ's divinity is more important than his humanity. False. For our salvation, his humanity is equally important as his divinity. If he is not human, he cannot mediate for humans. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Not the Pope. As B- <laughs> Boom! As B.B. Warfield notes, we must know him not as a humanized God or a, defiled, or a defied man, but a true God man, one who is all that God is and at the same time all that man is, on whose almighty arm we can rest and to whose human sympathy we can appeal. That's exactly what we're talking about today. Right. We cannot afford to lose either the God and the, and the man or the man and the God. Our hearts cry out for the complete God-man who the scriptures offer us. Jesus had faith. Um, true. <laughs> true. Yes, sir. Jesus appeared to have human flesh, but it was spiritual, which meant he could not suffer, suffer physical pain. Jesus appeared to have human flesh, but it was spiritual, which meant he could not suffer physical pain. False. Right, so, spoiler alert, 
He's not some Luke Skywalker force casting himself. Hey, spoilers! Dude. I said spoiler alert, yeah, but not enough. That's like a major spoil. You wouldn't even talk about it with me last cast. We had an agreement. And you're like, I'm tired. I don't want to talk about this. Well, I just did. Yeah, and you just ruined. No, I didn't. Well, the movie ruined itself. Oh, okay. We're done. We're keep going. We're gonna keep going with this. <laughs> All right. You're not gonna suck me in. <laughs> Jesus depended on the Holy Spirit, not his divine nature, during his life on Earth. Jesus depended on the Holy Spirit, not his divine nature, during his life on earth. The answer is true. What? Sinclair Ferguson correctly observes that the prophet Isaiah viewed the Messiah as the man of the spirit par excellence. When one considers the major events in Christ's ministry, he will note that the Holy Spirit takes a prominent role. Indeed, the term Christ, which Mm. has become a proper name for Jesus, means anointed. It was by means of that anointing of the spirit that the... Christ performed his office of mediator. The importance of this cannot be overstated. Christ's obedience in our place needed to be real obedience. He did not cheat by relying on his own divine nature while he acted as the second Adam. Rather, by receiving and depending upon the Holy Spirit, Christ was fully dependent upon his Father. That's actually really cool. Okay, it, it is really cool. And as, as you read the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of Mark, it says the Spirit led him. The yeah, Spirit drove him. I was thinking Spirit about that this. as you were reading that. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, and yeah. then led by the Spirit. He went, yeah. Then, yeah. I, I, I got that one wrong too. And I was like, oh, but, but idiot. Of course. Yeah. Not that yeah. anybody, okay. Hindsight, right. It is wrong to speak of the blood of God and God dying on the cross. False. False, obviously. Jesus, <laughs> obvs. Jesus could not raise himself because he was dead. Oh, sorry. You were reading another question. I was just yeah. checking out as you read that answer. Uh, Jesus could not... Wow. Sorry. Go ahead. Do that again. Are you sure? Yep. Okay. Jesus could not raise himself because he was dead. <sighs> uh, I'm going to say actually true on that because I think there's a passage about whom God raised from the dead. So... you going to say true? I'm going to say true. Ouch. While it is true the Father and the Spirit had a direct hand in the resurrection, see Acts 2.24, Romans 8.11, we confess, listen, this is key, we confess that Jesus was not just the receptive object, but also the initiating subject of the resurrection. He testified, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have Mm, authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father, John 10.18. By the power of his divine nature, he raised himself. That's a good call. Christ's soul went to heaven at his death. <sighs> Should I go with the Apostles' Creed on this one? Mm, I'm trying to think of a passage that would confirm or deny either one of those. That actually might be a good topic to talk about at some point. I'm going to go ahead and stick with the Creed. I'm going to go ahead and stick with the creed. Yeah, I'm going to stick with the Bible. What's the Bible The answer say? is true. True. And Luke 23, 46, Dang Jesus it. promises the man on the cross beside him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Soon after this, he cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The Chalcedian Creed reminds us that Jesus is truly God and truly man of a reasonable soul and body. And two of them right on the nose so, there, too. So the, uh, the Apostles' Creed should be updated. Good luck getting that to happen. Yeah, right. <laughs> now that he is in heaven... Oh, man, could you imagine? <laughs> Dude, it'll never happen. Now that he is in heaven, Jesus no longer has a human nature. False. False. Correct. The answer is False. Jesus' human nature is omnipresent, present everywhere. Oh, sorry, you're reading another question. Dude. Sorry. Keep up. Jesus' human nature is omnipresent, present everywhere. His human nature? Uh Uh-huh. Wouldn't that make it not human? I don't know, man. You tell me. You're the one answering the question. I'm going to say it's not present everywhere. Correct. Jesus will not judge at his return. The Father will. Um... Jesus will not judge. Right, it's his return. It's the Father who will. <sighs> yes and no. Uh, hold on. Who is worthy to open the scroll? <laughs> uh, who is slain? Uh, <laughs> I'm stalling. You're stalling. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say true. False. <laughs> the Father has appointed Christ as judge. It is a necessary part of his office as Lord and Savior. 
And the Father has given the Son authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Mm. John 5, 27. Bottomless. See also Acts 10, 42, 17, 31, 1 Corinthians 15, 25. As the faithful one, he receives authority to bless and to curse, to save and to destroy, to love and to hate. Just as the judge will be visible, so too will be the judgment. And submit. Let's see here. 24 to 30. There's actually 25 out of 30 because so, you clicked one of them. All right, let's say 25 out of 30. So you're sort of saved. Um, yeah, I'm like... You're, you're almost a Christian. What is that? Like, uh, I'm like 85% saved. You're you're 85... You have 85% union with Christ. Cool. Okay, cool. All right. All right, that was the quiz. Where are we going from here, big man? <laughs> all right. So we've got a couple other things we want to hit on <clears throat> in regards to our union with Christ. So what are some other... Some other um, aspects of our union with christ that we haven't touched on yet well so from the ephesians one passage we need to talk about adoption yep let's talk about that that's what i want to talk about cool cool where are we going what does it what does it mean to be adopted it means that as christ is the son of god we are adopted into his family much like romans 9 8 says um, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offsprings. So offspring, children, adoption. Um, that's coming from a larger context behind saying, you know, the Jews rejected the word of God. And here Paul is saying, okay, it's not just the, the physical Jewish people who are adopted as um, Christ or as God's children, as Jesus being the older brother. It is the children of the promise, the promise being to all Gentiles. And that promise referring to Genesis 15, I will give you an offspring to Abraham, Isaac, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then Romans 8, 12, 17 says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Galatians 4, 1, 7, 1 through 7 says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But if he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elemental principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. There's the union, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So what it means to be an adopted is being brought into the family of God and heirs. And some of that, mm -hmm. and part of being an heir is receiving these gifts, these entitlements that are given to you. One of those things being the spirit. I'm talking super quick. I'm going to give it to you now. Yeah, this is one of my favorite. This is one of my favorite doctrines, honestly. Yeah, um, I I love the the doctrine of adoption. I think of um, John one um, eleven and twelve. Uh, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Right, so we are grafted in. We are made um, the children of God because of what Christ has accomplished. So in those passages, the passages that you talked about, um, there was a lot of references to becoming sons of God and therefore heirs of God. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, do you have any passages on what it means to be an heir of God? We throw that term around a lot, um, but what exactly are we inheriting <laughs> as heirs? Sure. Um... There's a few things. I'm trying to. Let me, I'm looking up something real quick. Um, well, there's a few things. One of those things of being an heir is being made new. Yeah. So you're given a new nature, a new, a, a new. Um, you're made new. So that sinful nature is gone. The new man, the old man has passed away. The new man has come. New has come. Yep. Um, so the idea of sanctification, and I'm trying to look for the uh, golden chain of redemption. That's Romans eight. Romans eight twenty eight. Twenty eight. Thank you. No, nope, that's not twenty eight. It's thirty. I think Romans... it's it's the end of Romans twenty eight. Okay, so. Um, Romans eight. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to yep. be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Okay, so again, there's the idea of adoption. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. 
So being adopted and being heirs of Christ means we participate in all the things given to Christ. Mm. And Christ exactly. gives us redemption, right? So he forgives us the trespass of our, of our sins. We've already talked about Christ lived the life we never could. Um, being crucified on the cross, that was God pouring out his punishment that was for us upon him. And we're given his righteousness. So we're given justification by being adopted. Um, we're Again, we've already talked about sanctification and then glorification. Yeah. So where our bodies are made completely new, everything is perfect, everything is hunky-dory and kosher. Um, also, looking at, let's see here, I think in Matthew 25, 31 through 46 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will, be, he will separate people from one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from goats. And he will place the sheep, that is his people, on his right, but the goats, those who are not his people, on the left. That's my commentary, by the way. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you and from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Um, and then it goes on to say, talk about how Jesus is the one who comes and punishes the goats. So there's your answer for that. So Matthew 25 is a good passage to go to. Um, but the idea behind this passage is when it comes to inheritance, we are inheriting the kingdom prepared for you before the foundations of the world. Mm -hmm. So as Christ has all wisdom, power, and authority in this world, so that kingdom is also ours as yeah. co-heirs and co-rulers. Mm -hmm. And I don't know entirely what that means or what that's going to look like yeah. or even what that looks like now because the kingdom is here. Right. Um, but that, that's the idea is, is we're given everything that Jesus has given right. or Jesus is given by the Father. Well, and I, and I love that you started with the present because there are things that we inherit now mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but I also think about that that ultimate inheritance and we we kind of have like a like a, a taste of heaven mm -hmm. just like I, I don't think we have a fully orbed understanding of what heaven is truly going to be like but scripture does speak on it some um, but I, I mean I love that we talked about um, we talked about Christ from before the foundation of the world choosing and predestining us as sons um, we talked about um, you know our federal headship in Adam and how that, you know, went downhill quickly and then Christ fulfilled that. And now he is our federal head and how he did that through the incarnation, um, how he's adopted us as sons and how we are now heirs. And then I just look forward to um, when we, you know, that last step of inheritance. And we don't know exactly what that looks like, but we know that it's secure. Mm -hmm. And um, I was looking at First um, Peter where it yeah. says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, what he has already accomplished, he has caused us to be born again, there's part of it, to a living hope um, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, it's undefiled, mm -hmm. it's unfading, it's being kept in heaven for us, being guarded uh, who by God's power is being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So there's there's something that's going to be revealed in the last time, and, and we don't know exactly what all that looks like, um, but we're excited about it. We know that there's trials and stuff that come right now because 6 and 7 go on to talk about that, um, but it's exciting because I, I think God has given us a foretaste of what that's going to be like yeah. and something to cling to and hold on to and um, know that this present time is passing away, but... Um, you know, the riches of this present world are nothing to be compared right. with the glories that are to be written. Well, and, and see, so. what I really love about this passage that you just read is that it, we're given gift upon gift upon gift upon gift upon yeah. gift. Mm -hmm. And it, it's it's not like, okay, at one point you're, you're going to receive an inheritance. Right. It's that we are even now receiving even now. an inheritance as every day. Exactly. Like as, as we continue to go and then that will all culminate at the second coming of Christ. Exactly. And I, I long for that day. Yeah. It's going to be incredible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, it's like the best thing about, one of the best things about Christmas as a little kid is you're just waiting to get that gift. Yeah. It's like, we know it's there. We can see it pretty and wrapped under the tree. Yeah. Jesus, come quickly. <laughs> but if anyone, you know, if anyone's ever just experienced 
just a sweet time of communion with Christ. Yes. You know, whether yes. whether you're in church probably or if you're, you know, reading your scripture in your living room, something like that, you just have this sweet communion with Christ. Like we long for that, you know, for, for eternity. Yeah. And um, so we, we, we have tastes of it on earth, uh, but one day it will be made perfect and we look forward to that. So Right. And so let's, uh, I hate saying this, let's briefly touch on holiness okay. just for time's sake. Yeah. But we'll, we'll go ahead and continue that, that passage. So you had read First Peter um, yep. 1, starting in verse 3. And so I'm going to pick it up in verse 13 uh, through 21. It says, therefore, um, you know, being saved and adopted and all these things, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passage of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So here, here Peter is saying, you've been redeemed. Now act like you've been redeemed. Behave like you've been redeemed. The one who redeemed you is holy. You also mm-hmm. be holy. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and calling on the Father um, for, for holiness. And then this just goes into the idea of Christ being tempted, and he is able to relate with us in our temptations. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but will always provide a way of escape. Mm-hmm. So the idea is Christ can relate to your temptations because he has experienced the exact same types of temptations. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond your ability. And if you are tempted beyond your ability, he's, he's always going to provide a way for you to get out of it. Yeah. And he's always going to provide a way for you to be like him. Yeah. And knowing that Christ has beaten the devil, Christ can beat the devil for you. And so here's, here's where the idea of unity with Christ is so important. Because we have this idea that, that God is powerful enough to save us from hell. But then we doubt his ability to save us in our day-to-day life mm. and our day-to-day temptation. And that's, that is a very low view of Christ's redemption and a very low view of our union with Christ because he saves you from hell and he can save you from your day-to-day temptations. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why our union with Christ is, is so important. Mm-hmm. And so we are, we are called to be holy. We are called to, to live the way Christ has lived. Exactly. And we're called to imitate Christ as he relied on the spirit. We too are to rely on the spirit yeah. who gives us that power to overcome sin and temptation. Right. Yeah, he has enabled you to walk in obedience. Um, and and I love that because in, in verse 14, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but be transformed. You know, um, I think of that passage in Romans, you know, don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So don't be conformed, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the thing that I think about is, um, are, you, are you allowing the word to dwell in you richly like mm-hmm. Colossians 3 says to where your mind is transformed by the things that are beautiful about Christ and are you guarding your heart which is the wellspring of life which mm-hmm. is what Proverbs says you know mm-hmm. like are you allowing your mind to be transformed because it goes on to talk about obedience in verse 22 where it says having purified your souls by obedience to the truth mm-hmm. for sincere brotherly love love one another earnestly from a pure heart mm-hmm. right so holiness isn't just sitting there thinking about what God has done for you. That's part of it. You need to to preach the gospel to yourself. You need to be um, thinking often about your justification before Christ and what he's accomplished. That stirs up a heart of obedience in you. But then you also need to be living that out. And um, and by living out obedience, um, it says you're, you're purifying your soul, <laughs> in a sense. Like your mm-hmm. soul is being purified um, for sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart because... Within the two commandments of love God and love others, the entire law is bound up. So, are you loving your God enough to obey? That's right. that's kind of where I'm where I'm going with that. I don't know. Anyway. No, I think I think that's good. I, I think that's good. I think uh, we can go ahead and end on that. 
Are you loving God enough to obey? Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for listening to another episode, guys. Um, Be sure, please, to check us out on Facebook and iTunes. Uh, Leave us a review, uh, comments, questions, topics that you'd like us to discuss. Push back on things we've said. I'm sure there's plenty. Especially for you. Yeah, exactly. What? (laughs) No, I've heard a couple things tonight that have come out. I'm like, that probably required nuance, or that was the wrong word, something like that. But so don't be picky. But yeah, if you hear something, feel feel free. Please reach out. Yeah, share share our podcast, guys. We need to start the Joe Schmo Nation. Yeah, the Schmo Nation. The Schmo Nation. I mean, we've already got like 7 million listeners, I think. I think that's yeah, I mean, if, if you subtract about 6,099,000, yeah. maybe? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. No, yeah. no. Well, this was fun. I had a good time doing this. Is this is good. Yeah, it was good to get back into some of the heady theological things. But yeah, um, yeah seriously, check us out. Leave us reviews. Um, if you like it, tell your friends. If you don't, tell your friends about how terrible our podcast is and maybe they'll listen anyway. And they'll like it. Yeah, exactly. Because they have better taste than you. Exactly. Your friends have better taste than you. You should be ashamed of yourself and your family. All right, guys. Until two weeks from now, which, who knows? My baby's due in two weeks. Woo! So we'll, we'll see what happens here. But until then, <laughs> every Joe Schmo can grow some mo. Peace! Is it a sprint or a marathon? And will the finish lines make us happy? Or are we glad we can run it all? Can't fall when I'm asleep, I'm chasing a dream. When I wake up and it's over, what did I gain? Gain, turn it up, let me hear you live. Everybody tunes in just to hear you win. I'ma race to the finish line when I'm done. I'm worth more than a goal that I never won. One, one life, one love. Can't win them but lose all the above. Don't let this feeling fade. Into the sky